0: Welcome into Locked On Nick's Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we have a great guest today. We have Benji Ritholtz, who you might know as at Ben Ritholtz NBA on Twitter, one of the foremost Twitter film thread aficionados. After Knicks games, always has great insightful things to say on there. And Gavin, as it turned out, I mean, no big surprise.
1: Benji had plenty of great insightful things to say on the podcast today. Yeah, we talked about the Knicks' struggles on both offense and defense in terms of uh, teams that should be worse than them putting together massive, massive runs. He has some pretty unique insights on that that I hadn't heard before. Then we talk about R.J. Barrett's ascendancy and advocation, if that's even a word for him at the fore, talking about Obi and Randall playing together, and finally where the Knicks slot into the Eastern Conference hierarchy. All that and more right now I'm Locked on Knicks.
0: You are locked on Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. five, without a
2: five, Ewing for the land, yes! up, up. left, now fires his three, he's good, and he's fouled! and he's he out! Anthony for three!
0: To Locked On Knicks. This episode of Locked On Knicks is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving community since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. And I am Alex Wolf. I am editor-in-chief of Nick Site, the Strickland, but you can find at the land Also writing about the Knicks for clutch points this year. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we are joined by our very special guest today, one of our favorites, one of our best buddies, maybe the, the preeminent film uh, breakdown guy on Twitter for After Knicks games, though there are many now. There's quite the roster of film breakers down, I guess would be what the uh, the term there would be. But at any rate, he also writes for the Strickland. You might know him as at Ben Ritholtz NBA. He is Benji Ritholtz. Benji, how are you doing? What's going on, man?
2: Doing great. Doing great. Happy to be back on with you guys as always. And I I appreciate you guys having me.
0: Yeah, for sure. Definitely appreciate you coming on. And we have lots of things to talk about, I feel like. The Knicks now sitting at five and two uh, as of when we're recording this. And uh, yeah, this will be coming out before the Pacers game. Uh, The last... Taste in our mouths was that disgusting Raptors loss, though, as Gavin and I learned on, on YouTube today, which, by the way, shameless plug, if you're not watching us on YouTube yet, check it out. You can see all three of our faces here today, uh, but learned that apparently Raptors YouTube commenters are extremely, extremely sensitive about their team. They do not like being told that their team should have lost to the Knicks in that game. But at any rate, you know, according to them, we just lost to the best team in the East. Uh, (laughs) According to most people that think rationally and aren't Raptors fans, you know, it was a pretty disappointing loss for the Knicks. And I think the place I wanted to start, Benji, is like one thing that's been getting to me and you're you're so much better at X's and O's and stuff than than I am. So, you know, I want to kind of just run this by you. But the thing that's been standing out to me and I'm sure everybody is this tendency for the Knicks to get out to a huge lead early in the game, like I think, I, unless unless I'm misremembering, I don't think they got out to a double-digit lead in the second Magic game, the one that they lost. But I'm pretty sure that every other game this year, they've gotten a, a 10 to 15-point lead at some point during the game and then you know wound up squandering it and in some cases winning the game, in other cases not. But what would you attribute to this seeming inability of the, the Knicks to not hold the lead after building it, Uh, you know, and after often building that 10, 15 point lead in like the first quarter and, and looking pretty formidable.
2: Yeah, it has, it has been a frustrating trend. Um, and I, there every game is different to some extent. Uh, but I do think there have been certain trends that, uh, have been consistent throughout. Um, I think the primary one being, uh, offensive stagnancy stagnation i don't know which word which word is correct but uh but i think uh there's a tendency to uh especially if someone's got it going and julius was was a prime example last night um to try to uh take it on by on your own uh if you're feeling it play a little bit of isolation basketball Um, when we've seen very clearly in the first seven games here that when the Knicks move the ball, if they get it to the second side at any point in a possession, um, the offense is pretty devastating. Um, And I think uh, playing those one-on-one matchups has hurt. Um, And I think defensively, um, well, I I should say the other thing that I've seen is is when teams ratchet up the ball pressure, which – Toronto did in the second quarter big time, which Boston did at the end of the game, which Chicago did at the end of the game. Um, the Knicks seem to be struggling uh, with getting into their offense at all, which I think is one of the reasons that the isolation ball happens. It's because they're trying to get into their sets, but when when, when defense is pressure, they're, they're struggling to. And uh, Tibbs talked about it in the press conference last night after the game. He spoke, he spoke about owning your space. Gary Trent Jr. was 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 a prime suspect of this for for Toronto last night. He was just getting all up in RJ and just like they could not initiate their possessions and get into sets. Um, And so there's there's got to be more work done off the ball. A little just you know it's it's simple stuff, but even just like bringing your guy down to the block first before making your upcut to to. To ensure that you're getting the ball where you want to get it, right at the three-point arc. So much, so many times they've had to start their offense like six feet back from the three-point line, or Randall's getting a post up, but he's at the three-point line instead of at the elbow. Like stuff like that is is what ruins an offensive possession, and it's been it's been particularly happening when when defenses ratchet up the pressure, and that happens when when you when you get a lead, right? When when teams feel a little bit desperate, that's when they turn up the defense. So I, I do think that has been a a primary cause. For the the offensive struggles when when the leads have uh, been built up,
1: what what have you thought of the defensive breakdowns? Because obviously we saw in the third quarter, Toronto just rip three after three, and at least when I'm watching, obviously, I mean, a lot of people have noted the transition defense has been a problem, which which can happen when you rely on three point shooting a lot. It obviously, leads to some runouts on the other end, but I find it I'm finding it like difficult to consistently. Diagnose one single thing. I think a lot of it might just be that these guys haven't played together a ton, um, and it feels like there's just a lot of inconsistency from from different guys. Like like Kemba has some stretches where he's really bad. Fournier I think is mostly pretty solid, but I remember like one play last night where he just bailed out way too early and didn't give Kemba a chance to recover. Gave up an open three. RJ mostly been really good. He, he said himself that he thought he sucked during the Pelicans game. Randall is like very hit or miss and Mitch um, for as, as physical and, and impressive as he looks offensively, especially offensive rebounding wise. Um, I don't think we've seen quite the same overall mobility from him. And I think that's something that will ultimately come in time. But I, I, I'm curious what you think of, of all those guys and just the collective as a whole defensively.
2: Yeah, uh, I think. The best, uh, what's the what's the phrase? The best defense is a good offense, yeah. Um, and and that kind of that kind of stems from what I was just talking about earlier. Is I think uh, the defensive pressure, obviously forcing turnovers, bad shots that lead to transition looks. Uh, I I did hear RJ say in his press conference after the game last night that he thought the half court defense was pretty solid, but they got killed on the boards and they got killed in transition. I think that's that's a pretty accurate assessment of what went on last night. Um, the third quarter was just like an avalanche of bad offense leading to to easy advantages on the other end and quick offense. And, and not that the half-court defense was great, but I don't think it was really the, the, the big issue. I will say that there have been a couple of issues, and you can see the Knicks adjusting to the new personnel. Uh, I think the play w- in which you're referring to, in which Fournier – uh, maybe uh, didn't hedge aggressively enough, or didn't get back to his man early enough. So that was a it was a simple handoff between um, Van Vliet and I forget who who Fournier was guarding at the time. But that is a, a a significant difference between the defense this year and last year. Last year, say what you want about Alfred Payton, and I've said a lot about Alfred Payton. But say what you want about Alfred Payton. One thing that he was was a sizable, strong defender one-on-one at the point guard position, which allowed the Knicks to switch everything one 3 basically all season long. Any little guard-to-guard action was an automatic switch, basically from uh, they started doing it uh, just just a few games into the season last year, the last through the playoffs. And that's um, not insignificant because it just takes one more guess, one more decision out of a defensive possession especially early because a lot of teams will start actions with just a little bit little guard to guard handoff when the pistol sets the Knicks run right it's just a little point guard to wing handoff um, and when you can switch those um, it just makes the whole possession easier and the Knicks I've seen it a few times now as as the season's gone on is because they're trying to protect Kemba and they don't want to switch Kemba onto any wings they have to hedge and recover on those types of plays and that was an example of the play you're talking about Gavin where where it just wasn't executed on point. And I think that's the kind of thing that will improve as the season goes on. I also think it's one of the things that it's one of the places where you do feel a defensive downgrade, not in terms of intelligence, in terms of help defense. Kemba's shown to be very, very solid on all those elements. But just in terms of the physical limitations that he has, you have to protect him. There was another play last night where, um, where Svi Mikhailuk was posting up on Kemba. And personally, if I was coaching, I would say good for him, let him go for it. But the Knicks are trained <laughs> and coached to protect against sorry, my Trump. dog
1: gets fired up anytime anyone anyway. goes after the Knicks. Just
2: I can relate. Um but uh RJ the Knicks are coached to really protect Kemba in those situations. So RJ kind of came in to help hard on the post. It was an easy pass, one pass away to Van Vliet for a rhythm three, and he made it. Um, So there are those kinds of adjustments that the Knicks are making to a new defensive uh, liability at point guard that is definitely there's a there's a carryover and there's a there's a chain reaction that takes place when you're trying when you all of a sudden for the first time now under Tibbs have someone you have to actually protect on the defensive end.
0: All right, we're going to take our first break. This episode is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come to recharge. It's the place you always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. And I can tell you that has certainly been the case for me a number of times. Nothing like when you're coming home from a long trip, particularly if it's a a drinking trip or something, and then you see a McDonald's on the way home and get yourself some nice salty French fries, maybe a McDouble, maybe some chicken nuggets, maybe order too much food and then you finish it later. I, I don't know, whatever. You know, McDonald's is great for that and a good old McDonald's Coke, too. So, you know, definitely go to your local McDonald's. And, you know, if you go there, you know you can refuel and reconnect. Did somebody say locked on Nick's watch party? I, I didn't say it. Maybe someone said it. Maybe someday McDonald's hit me up. Uh, at any rate, I got to just say, I'm loving it. Yeah, it is It is kind of interesting to see that. And, I mean, yeah, for for all of his faults, when he was – engaged on defense, which we can I mean, I'm sure that plenty of people have plenty of thoughts about, you know, one way or the other about how engaged Alfred Payton was and how consistently he was. But at his best, he did, he did play some some fairly harassing defense and he was fairly switchable, which I know you you pointed out a lot last year as well. And you know, you do lose some of that with with Akemba. I think that there's also the issue of like in general, there's not really too many ideal one one two punches you can have out there at the point guard and shooting guard spot this year whereas last year there were some combos that you could play that were pretty solid and you know that that is maybe where the difference between like Reggie Bullock and Evan Fournier comes in where Bullock is just bigger and you know so even if Fournier at his best plays some pretty good team defense and disrupts passing lanes and stuff he's just he's never going to be quite as switchy or as you know, as disruptive as Bullock was with his extra length and his extra height, Uh, and and that's going to make life a little more difficult. And then, like, things just don't really get too much easier on the bench either, or there's not, you know, outside of maybe Deuce McBride, who's situational, the the curse word, you know, um, where he's, you know, he's only going to be in there for, you know, a couple seconds at the end of any given half for sporadic defense or whatever. Other than him, you've got Emmanuel Quickly and Derek Rose off the bench as your one-two. And then it, it seems like basically there's been very few times when Tibbs has gone with anyone other than those four players at the one and two spots this year. There hasn't even been like a, a semi-jumbo like R.J. Barrett and Alec Burks out there lineup that I can think of uh, where you maybe have Kemba, Burks, R.J., you know, Julius Mitch, like, like – a semblance of the starters, but with Burks in there instead of Fournier. So it's, it has been interesting to see one guy, actually, while we're talking about defense that I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on. And and it's not just defense. It's sort of big picture too, is Obi Toppin. And I feel like it's been so strange with him this year, right? Because during the preseason, we see the Knicks go small out of necessity in that final game against the, the wizards. They make the comeback and win the game. And then you find yourself saying, well, there you go, Tibbs. You know, their small ball It worked with Obi and Randall out there as the four and five. And then they deployed again in the first game of the season, and it works to great effect. And now Obi's been kind of, I think despite, by and large, even when his shot's not falling, I think that he's putting together impactful minutes out there. You know, we now saw just in the past game, for example, against the Raptors, who really didn't have anybody sizable that they had out there. So if there was ever a team you could get away with a little bit of small ball against, it was probably them. And you wind up seeing Obi only play like 10 minutes or something. And Jericho Sims get five minutes after, after Taj goes down. So I I guess this is sort of twofold. What have been your, your overall thoughts on Obi so far this year and how he's been playing offensively, defensively, all that good stuff. And then, I guess the, the real question would be, do you think that he should have more playing time? But if you do, how do you think the Knicks can go about finding him more playing time?
2: Uh, I think Obi's been really good. I, I'm, I've been really impressed with his seven games. Um, the 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 shot has, which I thought looked much better in, in the summer league and even preseason, he clearly made some mechanical changes. Um, it's looked pretty terrible. Um where he's not even close, and he's not making free throws. Um, so that is concerning. I mean, you probably chalk that up to you know you're 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 shooting with new with new form uh, at real game speed, and there's an adjustment to be made, and you hope that it comes around. Um, but other than that, um, in terms of his activity defensively, in terms of his being the fastest player in the world, <laughs> like beating everyone down floor, pretty much on every every possession um and just uh, they've gotten him rolling much more um which is awesome which obviously we were all asking for last season when he was um, strangely um made into a pick and pop four or a stretch four which is not who he is um but he's been rolling a lot more to the rim he's he's been shown an improved handle he's made some nice pump and go moves uh, he's looked really good uh, defensively, he's been blocking three-pointers. He's looked generally up to the task of chasing, you know, small fours. Um, and he's he's been really solid on defense, I think. Um, they did go small last night for some minutes, and they did get killed on the glass when they went small. And that's going to be the concern. I mean, even though Toronto's a relatively small team, they do have a bunch of really active long dudes who are going to crash the board. And when you, do, when you don't have a Mitch in there who basically – Will get those rebounds by default because he's so much bigger than anyone on the floor. Uh, if you don't match their intensity, which they did not last night, you're going to get outworked on the boards. And Tibb said at post game in his press conference. He just said, "We, you know, we tried to go small and we got beat on the boards. Not, not a good sign for those who want to see more of the small lineup. Um, so look, I think it's it's going to remain, you know, Ob being Randall's backup for the most part." Um, I do like how Tibbs has played him a little bit more. With the, he's actually brought Randall back later in in the half, so that Obi gets some minutes with the starters, which has been nice to see. And I think that's that's great. Um, but unfortunately, uh, because neither Toppin nor Randall um, are kind of the prototypes of a of a small ball five defensively, can't really protect the rim. Tibbs is just going to be hesitant to go to that lineup. I wish he would switch them more. I think that would maybe powerful and a way to negate the rim protection issues is just to switch everything in those lineups, but that's just not how Tibbs coaches defense, right? I mean, that's not never how he's, how he's done it. And I don't expect him to start now. So that is uh, kind of just where we are with Obi. Um, And I think he's been taking advantage so far of the minutes he's had, and and that's only good for the Knicks, but um, yeah, I think we're still looking at the 12 to 16 minute range for the most part of the season.
0: All right, we're going to take our second break. Just a reminder: this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats, and plenty of them. But maybe you want a yummy dessert, but one that isn't so full of calories and sugar. It's the perfect time for Built Bars. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories, and that's on the low end. Most Built Bars are only 130 calories and only four grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Rumor has it 17 to 19 grams per bar. Replace that coconut cream pie with a coconut built Bar, or go for a raspberry built Bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie out here. Low calorie, low carb, low fat, and high protein. Covered in 100% real chocolate, built is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a Bilt Bar or two. Share some at your family gatherings. It will make things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a Bilt Bar yet. And new surprises all month. There will be limited-time flavors arriving at Bilt.com regularly, so be sure to check the site often. I tell you what, a lot of my favorites are the limited-time flavors, so definitely keep an eye out for those. There's nothing like a Bilt Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises I can tell you guys honestly that is when i got my biggest cash of built bars was on black friday so definitely check out that built bar black friday sale go to built.com and use promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15 percent off your order again use promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at built.com
1: and we're back and better than ever a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props odds and lines than ever before Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this year. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus from basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC. Right to your favorite Vegas Casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Switching gears a little bit, uh, what have you thought of RJ Barrett the last two games? Because to me, and like obviously he's had amazing games his first two seasons, but this feels a little bit different in terms of him just putting it all together and every single skill looking like the ability to actually get to the rim, the ability to finish once he gets there, the ability to pass on the move, the the three-point shot, the three-point shot specifically off the dribble, it all feels like on a slightly higher level. And look, maybe part of it was the, I mean, obviously Toronto has some decent defenders. Part of it was probably the competition. Part of it was probably two hot nights in a row. But this feels like a guy who at least now has a ceiling that is different than it was at any point previously in his career.
2: Yeah. um, uh, To me, the biggest difference is at the rim. Uh, He's taking very similar shots. There's been a little bit more experimentation with off the dribble threes. And they've gone in the last couple of games. They didn't early in the season. I think that's still going to be a work in progress. Um, but there's been improvement there. Um, but the biggest improvement for me and the most significant improvement for me is that he's actually finishing at the rim. And I, he got to the rim plenty last season. Um, but he didn't finish much in transition. He's just plowing people over. He's going right through them. Um, the strength is is apparent. The increased strength is apparent. Um and I love that. I feel like he's utilizing his right hand more. I I think he's always been basically a better finisher with his right hand. He just never gets to it. Um, but he's got a lot of control with that right hand, and he's really utilized his two steps well to get to it, and and, and it's taken some people off guard. He's finished well in that way. Um, and just obviously the confidence that he's playing with. Um, just the speed with which he's releasing those threes on the catch and shoot. Like there's absolutely no hesitancy whatsoever. Um, and – you know, I thought with with these new pieces, I thought he would take a step back points per game-wise just because I figured he's not going to get quite the amount of touches, a few less pistol actions per game. He'll be more of a secondary guy. But uh, the way he's taken advantage of, of transition opportunities um, off his own rebounds and off of outlets, um, that kind of makes up for it. And I, I think uh, I might have underestimated the improvement that he's made. And I agree. I mean, you know, if we live and die with every game in every yeah. season. But if R.J. Barrett is approaching this type of player, frankly, no matter what happens this season, that is as important as any game or any, any result uh, that this season can possibly bring that is a franchise altering improvement if, if this is what we're if this is what we're going to get. Um, and I think uh, you might have watched that game and been really pissed off I certainly was, but uh, it, it was easier to, to to swallow it because of what we saw from uh, from a third year player who seems to be just blossoming into something I didn't see coming this year. So it's really cool. Yeah, I I don't know if even the most optimistic
0: person saw quite this coming this year. If if this is like the laying seeds for something bigger, uh, for him to maybe become a, a not just a twenty point per game scorer, or let's say that he ends up at, you know at twenty two or something like that for the year, but even even if you know he. Just if he has that happen, he also is still becoming this lockdown defender that I I don't know if, I mean, again, I think we all thought, oh, he's a good defender, but the numbers bearing out so far are that he is literally one of the best wing defenders in the league Uh, and I think was, as of the other day, ranked number one in opponent field goal percentage against him uh, when guarded by him. So, I mean, it's crazy stuff to, to think about with RJ right now. And you're right. I mean, if if he's going to be something like what he's been these last few games, which is someone that you can rely on early and often, someone that you can go to down the stretch and basically just say, win us a game, uh, which he did against the the Pelicans. And he was allowed to do that with Randall, Kemba, everybody else on the floor, and they were deferring to him, uh, especially Kemba. I mean, it, it seemed like was bringing the floor down and then basically just locating RJ on the floor and saying, okay, go ahead. And, and win us the game, and he did. And, you know, he was a large part of the reason why the Knicks made a comeback against the Raptors as well. If he's that level of player, and then you get Julius Randle, you know, getting his head fully on straight again, and, and then have, you know, Kemba Walker still giving you the production that he's been giving you, Evan Fournier being the, the fourth option on a team after for so long having to be the second or almost first option on certain teams he was on uh i think i think this team could still be really 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 dangerous um which is something i want to touch on in a second but actually while we're talking about rj and not to turn this into like alex wants to figure out how to play small ball hour but you tweeted something last night and this is something i hadn't seen brought up in a while so i want to like i know you've said it before and and other people have said it before i think gavin and i've talked about it before but it's been a while since we thought about it based off roster construction for the knicks but the Knicks last night went with, I forget who exactly the full lineup of personnel was, but I, I'm 90% certain that the four and five combo was RJ at the four, OB at the five for a little Oh, bit. it, was, it was
1: Rose IQ Burks for the other three.
0: Rose IQ Burks, RJ, OB. That's right. So, and Benji, you tweeted during that, playing small for these Knicks has always meant, really meant RJ at the four, a maximized RJ will get time at the four. How do you see that? being a viable option this year because I'm in full agreement. I actually, I think that, I think that RJ has always had this sort of thing about him where people debated for so long, is he a two or three? I've kind of always thought he's a three, but based off his strength level, I've always kind of thought too, like he can go out there and he can bang with some guys as a four and can definitely provide some productive minutes out there, but roster construction, thanks to Julius OB you know, etc., has just kind of made that hard for him throughout his first few years. But what do you think about that uh, after talking about it last night?
2: Yeah, um, I, th- I think, it would probably come at the expense of Obi Toppin, at least in spurts. Um, and we were just talking about trying to get Obi more minutes. So, <laughs> uh, it's a. Uh, it's tough. Again, if you're not willing to be a little bit more switchable and play Randall or, or Obi at the five, um, you're just kind of limited in how much RJ can get those power forward minutes. But it, you know, thinking about him as a player and the way he rebounds at his position, the way he protects the rim at his position, um, because he's such a good help defender coming over on the weak side He's shown that over and over again. It's one of his best defensive attributes. Um, and obviously just his, his strength. Um, I always saw him as someone who would be playing some four uh, in every game. And and hopefully you get, you create some favorable matchups for him where he's being guarded by bigs who can't keep up or don't want to get out. Um, and that's, you know, what you want to do for your, for your best players is create favorable matchups. Um but yeah, you know it's 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 hard with the current roster construction, and when your best player is a power forward, <laughs> and one that you're not really willing to play at center. Um, so you know who knows if uh, if we see more of that that kind of lineup. It was cool to see Tibbs go to it. I'll tell you that, and I think it worked. I thought it was their best lineup all night, other than the first quarter when Randall had it going. But from second quarter on, I thought it was their most effective lineup, uh, and RJ was was pretty dominant during that little stretch. So. Um, yeah, we'll see. I don't. I don't see much of it happening this year, but it, I do think it's something the organization should have its eye on as they as they build the team out going forward.
1: Yeah, I'm. I've always been a big fan of of him playing there and getting some time there, and it just it feels like a way to on because he like he's had a share of nights where he just hasn't been. I don't want to say like not aggressive enough, but like having trouble like getting into rhythm. And we've seen these last two games what he can do when he when he really builds up some confidence and I think playing him at the four is sort of inviting him to match up hunt in a way that I think he needs. And like in a way, like maybe we've gotten too much of from Julius Randall, I think almost RJ can continue to go a little bit further in that direction and, uh, and pursue those types of possessions a bit more often. Um, Benji, I guess I'm I'm out of like specific questions, but I just kind of want you to empty the notebook. Is, Is there anything else early in this next season that's really been catching your eye?
2: Yeah, I think the key question uh, and the one I was most interested to see to start the season was what what can this this version of Julius Randle be on this roster? Um, and I, it's been a rough couple games. games. Um, he's something looks off. He's frustrated. He's not. Not playing with the same intensity and hustle that we're used to, and I, I I kept saying today on Twitter, you know, he's earned he's earned our patience. I think so. We have to we have to give him a few games here to sort it out. He was used to being the guy all the time, every possession, um, any shot basically was as good as the Knicks were gonna get um, last season, and it's a totally different animal. Uh, and and so it's just been really interesting. There there have been stretches where I think he's nailed it. Where he's just the offensive fulcrum, he's he's moving the ball side to side, DHO after DHO. He's so hard to cover a dribble handoff. Defenses don't know what to do, and especially if he does it uh, to the to the weak side, he gets you know he, he sets an initial screen, gets it back, now runs to the other side and runs another DHO with Burks or with Fournier. I feel like every time he's done that, he's they've, the Knicks have gotten a good shot. Um, and being more of a roller, he has so much more space to operate. Um, and, and the question that he needs to ask himself and, and, and the Knicks need to be asking is how can we get him to reallocate his offense um, a little bit, you know, to, to create a different approach where he doesn't need to back a guy down and either try to draw help or try to make a tough shot when he can just be the guy who is involved in every action and just be a powerful force that way. Because I think it's more powerful. I think the offense is, is, I mean, it's shown to be much more powerful when he's when he's playing like that uh, as a connector, but as like a super talented, um, threatening connector that you always have to account for and that you always have to send help, hel- send help to. Um, and we've seen it in spurts, and we've also seen some really poor decisions and some over-dribbling and some over-ISOing um, and I mean, I don't know how you guys have kind of have thought about what he's looked like early, but I I've still seen enough encouraging signs where uh, I'm willing to give him a few games to figure this out. I I do wish the body language was better, and uh, and and the attitude generally was just a little bit more positive. But uh, I'm hopeful that he's going to figure this out, and he's going to take this offense to to pretty amazing heights.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I'll, I I've been pretty tough on his body language and stuff as well over the last few games, especially. Um I I generally feel like Randall's I, I'm with you. I mean I I certainly don't want to seem like I don't have faith in the dude because clearly what he did last year was amazing for the Knicks. And I mean all told he's really like numbers wise he's doing basically what he did last year. You know what I mean? Like he's he's still putting up 21 points a game. He's shooting 37.5% from three, you know, 11 boards, six assists. And a lot of those things are happening when he's at his best moments, you know, when he's – when he seems engaged and when he doesn't seem upset for whatever reason. It just seems like he's – it seems like things are setting him off really easily, and that's sort of sending him down this, like, this rabbit hole of – I don't know what you would call it. Like, just being – being unhappy on the court and, and to your point there, there shouldn't really be any room for that right now. Cause the team is really good. I mean, they're five and two. I, I think he's just kind of maybe getting caught up a little bit in what calls he's getting or not getting and, and stuff like that and letting that sort of get to him. But also to your point, you know, and you had made this point here and then also on Twitter, like he's still learning how to play with a bunch of new guys and how to be more deferential, which I think, he made good strides in last year too, which is easy to forget. But I mean, going into last year, he was, he was thought of as the guy who, you know, constantly tried to ISO and do spin moves and would turn the ball over. And last year turned into an offensive hub that it kind of had to go through him every time. Uh, But he was letting it flow through him. He wasn't just looking for a shot every time he was looking for his teammates and averaged a really high assist number for, a uh, power forward out of you know that whole thing last year. So you know he's still averaging about that number of assists, actually a little more in the early going this year. But it doesn't feel like quite enough because it almost seems like there should be more times where he's looking for other people because there's so much talent around him, and or looking for more opportunities for him to get involved as a guy off the ball. I guess you know and, and have himself fed more for assists. Uh, more so than having to be the feeder of the assists. And so, yeah, it's, I, I'm totally willing to give him time though. You know, that I don't really, I wouldn't even care if, you know, for example, like another person that's had uh, some polarizing discourse around them in the last few days is Emmanuel quickly. Who's struggling like crazy to put the ball in the hoop right now, but by and large, the process looks pretty good with IQ other than maybe like the first game. I think he's doing things largely right and stuff like that. And, doesn't seem to be letting anything getting get to him. You know, his attitude seems fine. With Julius, it's sort of the opposite where he's actually he's doing, like you said, some of the stuff right on the court. It's just I wish that I wish I would see the body language look a little better with him and stuff. Cause it's just it's kind of perplexing given the the state of the team right now. Um but certainly willing to give him as much time as he needs. I mean if if the worst case scenario, if we're talking like this and the Knicks are five and two. Yeah and you know and a few of the games have been tight but ultimately wins as long as they keep playing at a five and two pace they can do whatever the heck they and, want
2: and they've been they've been tight but uh in every game it's felt like the knicks had control and lost it yes which yeah. is the which is where you in close games you'd rather be that team than the one who's constantly down and trying to call their way back and making you know those fake comebacks that we that we love so much back in the day um but the knicks have i think. You know, and I I try not to be biased in my analysis. I, I I legitimately think they looked like the better team um in every game other than that that weird Orlando back-to-back second game. And even in Toronto, I mean, I they were not the better team in the second half. I don't mean that they weren't, they just weren't. But when they were playing the right way. There was a clear talent gap that you just saw watching that first half where it was like, oh, oh, we have a lot more shot makers than the Toronto team. We just do more creators, more shot makers. And if we do what we need to do, we're going to get better shots consistently. Um, and they just went away from that stuff. Like it didn't feel like and Toronto took them out of that stuff. But still, like there was a you could you, there was a notable talent gap. Um, so I, I think think the first seven games have been extremely encouraging. I think if any Nick fan is coming out of these seven games with a, with a negative perception of this team, they need to check themselves. They need to check themselves real quick because, uh, it's been an impressive, impressive seven games. And I'm with Julius, you know, I don't know what the conversations are with him and, and, and Tibbs and, and the rest of the staff. If I were, you know putting myself in that place, the way I would frame it, it's not even being more deferential. I, I want you involved in as many actions as you were involved in last year. I want you to be the fulcrum, the focal point, uh, the engine of the offense. It's just less about you creating the advantage through your own post-up or dribble. Like, you create advantages through screening for others. It create advantages by dribble handoffs. You create advantages by rolling and making the read. Like, it just requires less time with the ball. But I want you in every action because what I've seen is when he's moving the ball quickly with quick decisions, defenses are getting bent out of shape every time. They don't know what to do with him because he can pop and he can roll and he's a beast going to the rim and he's a really good shooter now and he's a really good passer when he's looking that way. It's, there's really no way to defend a guy moving action to action like that who can do all of those different things. So, you know, that's how I want to frame it and I, how I kind of envision him. Uh, it, as a maximized Julius Randle. All
1: right. So last one on my end, you mentioned that first seven games clearly have been very encouraging. Where do you ultimately see the Knicks fitting into the Eastern Conference picture? Because it's been it's been a surprising season on a number of fronts. Brooklyn does not look nearly as overwhelmingly deadly as everyone expected. Shout out to Kyrie. Um, the Bucs have been a little weird so far. I can't say I've watched a ton of them. I can't say I'm really worried about them based on the track record, but a little shaky. Miami looks ridiculously good. Um, still potentially has to get Victor Oladipo back. And then there's this weird morass of teams that Chicago's really good. Seemingly Charlotte's been really good so far. I don't really think those two hold up very much. I still think Atlanta will eventually get it together and be very good. All that being said, there is very much an opening at the top of the Eastern Conference. And yet the Knicks haven't really played a whole lot of great teams yet. So it feels like it's hard to know exactly where they fit in that pecking order. Long-winded way of asking Benji, where do they fit in that pecking order?
2: Um yeah, I, I Milwaukee just hasn't been healthy. I think they're gonna no. they're gonna be great. I'm not worried about them. I I even as as fun as it is to watch Brooklyn struggle, um, I think they'll be they'll be top three in the East by the end of the season. I just there's just no way when you have James Harden and James Harden, even at what where James Harden is now is phenomenal. And, and KD is KD. I just think I I don't see us finishing ahead of them. Atlanta probably gets together. I think Trey is actually dealing with this ref thing in a real way. That's interesting and kind of hilarious, but um, he's awesome. I'm not really that worried. I, you know, I said, I think I, I don't remember if I made a prediction, but I, I kind of envisioned them. I thought four I think four is kind of the the top, and seven is, I think, the floor, basically. And I, if I had the probability, I would say the highest probability is probably five, six. Um, and I still feel that way. I, nothing's changed my mind about that. Uh, it'll depend on whether these other teams at the top kind of really get it together. But um, uh, I, assuming that they do, I, I see this team in the five, six range, probably. Um, with a really, really good offense and probably a little bit worse defense, which I think has come to fruition so far, right? I mean, that's what we've seen.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I I'm sure we'll have plenty more discussions too about where the Knicks will ultimately end up uh, slotting in this season. But that is for another podcast. perhaps for another another Benji appearance somewhere down the line. We'll revisit the topic. Uh, but Benji, I think we're gonna wrap up this episode for today. So do you want to let everybody know? where to find you online again, um, where to find your work and all that good stuff uh, before we sign off here.
2: Sure, thanks. Uh, Yeah, it's at Ben Ritholtz, MBA. um, And uh, I am writing stuff eventually this season for the Strickland when I can get to it. Um, Actually hoping to have a, a little bit of a historical piece out soon, a little bit of change of pace, but I'm excited about it. So working on that um and otherwise yeah just find me on twitter i'm posting stuff every day a lot of stuff um and uh always appreciate everybody's feedback uh and 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 viewing it and commenting on it and it's been a lot of fun so yeah, that's where you can find me cool well
0: thanks so much benji for popping on as always thanks for all the great insights and yeah of course go follow ben ritholtz mba his name is not actually ritholtzman <laughs> I see so many people literally refer to you as like, yeah. "Hey, Rick, what do you think?" Yeah, I love I'm it.
2: I love it. Not I getting the it.
0: joke, but I I get the joke, and I've always found it to be very funny.
2: I like to think they get the joke and they're just playing along, but I'm not I guess so. Job. Yeah, <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> I guess I guess so. Hopefully, they do get the joke. I mean, it's I think it's pretty on the nose, but it's hilarious. Uh, at any rate, thanks, Benji, for popping on, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Awesome, thanks,
2: guys. Always a pleasure. Appreciate you guys having. Me.